Welcome back. This is the fourth episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. Joining me today to talk about getting lost in music is UK-based DJ Jane Fitz. first as a raver and a music journalist in her native England, and later in Asia when she moved to Hong Kong at age 23. Eventually, she picked up DJing and brought her keen ear for selection and groove back to the UK at her event series like Peg and Night Moves. Today, she's considered one of electronic music's best selectors, holding residencies at the likes of Free Rotation and The Pickle Factory. to start with a little excerpt from an interview that you did about four years ago mm-hmm. with NWS and the author had written that you have been quote lost in music since the age of eight when mm-hmm. you would zone out with your headphones on the floor listening to Herb Alpert and Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a bit more about those kind of early experiences getting lost in music? Well um, they were a long time ago. <laughs> they were almost 30 years ago now. Uh, I mean, 40 years ago now, sorry. So, it's, yeah, it's a long time ago for me. Um, but I do, obviously, they're, if you think about your childhood, the things that I remember, um, and my, my, both my brother and my mum used to have records. Neither were, I wouldn't say neither were, like, obsessive music fans, but they both had records. Um, I think my brother got more into, had his music phase and got more into sport. Um but a lot of the records that he played to me um, when I was a kid have sort of resonated with me because they were from everything so you know I had I remember vividly listening to things like the first Chic album when I was probably only about five or six years old and Earth, Wind and Fire and mm. it was my mum who had the Herb Albert album and that was a real favourite I used to put that on um, God knows why they were letting a kid <laughs> like seven, eight, nine years old or whatever pick up the stereo but um, yeah, I used to put that on and like get my dad had these huge like studio headphones. I used to put those on and just like be laying on the floor getting down to that. Or uh, one of my favorite tricks was putting on a record and uh, just whirling around in circles. <laughs> I don't know what I was trying to do at that point. Um, but they were, you know, those kind of to me that was already I, I would be like lost in another world making up like videos to it in my head. And just, <laughs> Yeah, you know, soundtracking imaginary movies. Yeah, that you know, they're all very vivid and very. All my, I'd say, my best childhood memories from very small are all connected with things like that. And so, what kind of electronic music were you listening to that also got you in this space of feeling lost in music or well, lost in sound? I mean, uh, I guess that you know, as a child, you're not really making. Um, 
you're not making conscious decisions to listen to a particular kind of music you just listen to what's there but I mean my brother had all the early Jean-Michel Jarre albums so I remember the covers just as much as I do uh, the records my dad had tubular bells he also had I remember in the car a tape from Elka which was a kind of synthesizer manufacturer and I think it was like some kind of dis- um, like a demonstration tape I used to love that um, um, my uncle as well had a had a huge organ synthesizer was like an Elka or something like that one mm. of these ones with lots of different coloured keys and I used to go there and get lost in all the sounds and also at the time um, that was probably when you were getting a lot of the synth pop bands come the first sort of real synth pop bands coming through who were mainstream so you would see them on TV and radio a lot or hear them on radio a lot so things like Depeche Mode and OMD um, Yazoo was a real favourite of mine I, I loved Yazoo which were kind of a side project well that came off of side project of Depeche Mode and that was yeah I was probably about 8 or 9 and that, that was just all over the TV um, from the US I remember Jay Giles band they were a bit synthy um, who else I, I mean these for me I, you know I also have like images of I can remember Soft Cell on top of the Pops and Sparks on top of the Pops because mm. they're, you know, their their visual imagery was so stark at the time. You know, you were used to seeing bands on the TV, and then suddenly you had like one guy singing who was a little bit effeminate and wearing like black leather, and then <laughs> another guy standing behind a keyboard, not doing very much at all, and pressing a button, which kind of carried on through. You had Sparks, you had Soft Cell, you had Erasure, you had Pet Shop Boys. You know, they all sort of fell into this kind of model of who would be next, but. Yeah, I mean that. I mean that was the electronic music of the time. But then, you know, there was there was also the kind of you know, um, sort of the, the I would say the electro funk bands as well coming through at the time. So Daz and things like that, which were in court funk bands incorporating synthesizers into their music as well. So it w- you'd have like white British <laughs> stuff all over the TV, and then sort of um, black synth bands on the radio. So that, you know, it was it was it was of the time though. Everybody was. You know, there's a lot of money in music then. There was a lot of access to very big studios and big studios buying big pieces of equipment. So that was, everybody was exploring with electronic music at that time in, you know, in various degrees and and to various successes. But yeah, it was kind of everywhere at that time, which was, yeah, my childhood was the 80s really, you know, my, I was eight, I was born in the 70s. So yeah, when I was really aware of it, I think that was the thing. You, you know, so it was everywhere. What do you think it is about music in particular that yields this power of kind of making you lose yourself as opposed to, for example, film or visual arts? Well, the beauty of music is that you don't have to be engaged with it to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. For example, you can't watch a film in another room, but you can do the cleaning and have the music <laughs> on. I mean, to be honest with you, I had this conversation with my partner the other day. I find it very hard to have background music on. You know, I need to be really engaged. You know, for me to be in a in a house and just have music on in the background, I find it very, very, very difficult because I like to be getting on with stuff. And if there's music on, I need to concentrate on it. And it is something that I really do need to engage with. But, for you know, for that's not the same for everybody who can drive a car with music on or. I see people cycling with headphones in. I can't even understand how you can do that. But um, <laughs> the, the thing about music is it, it is transportable, and it's you can with your ears. You don't need to engage your hands or your or your eyes to be able to engage with it. And so it has um, a, a quality about it which is kind of atmospheric because it can seep into you without you trying. You have to cover your ears not to hear music. And that's, you know, you can't really do walk around with your ears covered up. So I think that's 
that is the thing with it and you know that, that that's the um the uniqueness of it is that all you have to do is turn up the volume to kill out everything else that's going on around you and i think because of that that makes it the probably the most atmospheric maybe you know it, i would i would um liken it to a smell mm -hmm. you know there's, there's a few things that you just they seep into you without you realizing that it's going on mm. so yeah that I, I would imagine that's why it's easy for for me personally to get lost in music although you know as i said i have to be engaged with something to be able to properly listen to it mm -hmm. i can't have background on so. i think it's funny because obviously in like literal terms getting lost isn't necessarily mm. a good thing i mean it's losing your sense of direction mm -hmm. or getting distracted or confused but when we talk about getting lost when it comes to music it takes on this kind of different meaning mm -hmm. so what does it mean for you personally to be lost in music like what is that feeling like for you i guess it's meditative you know um in a set i've i can get lost in music even in the middle of a crowd of people in a you know in the middle of a festival if I, if it's if the sound's good enough and I've got enough space, um, and I'm not having to have a conversation with somebody, which I really resent, <laughs> unfortunately. I really don't go out to talk to people. I'd rather talk to people over dinner, you know, or over a drink, but um, yeah, if I go out to hear music, I go to hear music. And I think, um, for me, it's just that, it's kind of suspension of everything else. You know, suspension of thought, suspension of action. It's just, suddenly your mind for me my mind connects with what i'm hearing um and i can and i'm kind of transported i don't know to partic particularly where to and i don't necessarily mean somewhere else but there's a feeling of some kind of movement within myself and which which takes which gets me lost but it's a good loss you know mm -hmm. it's like um yeah it's, so I, the only thing i can liken it to is meditation um so you're somewhere else, but you're exactly where you are. I read that you moved to Hong Kong when you were 23, right? Yeah. And that you really connected to these small rave scenes in Asia. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about those experiences? Sure. I mean, I think when I, when I moved to Hong Kong, it was actually the week before my 24th birthday. I, I actually went via Singapore. I bought a flight via Singapore and I went there for work. And I didn't really... I kind of went on a couple of leads, basically. I'd had enough of my job in London. I'd have split up with a relationship. I was like, you know what? I'm just, I was giving up my flat. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go away. Um, and I had contacts from work in Hong Kong, so I went there. And then I think it was kind of easy to get involved in any kind of scene that was happening there if you had an interest because it wasn't massive. Mm. You know, Hong Kong itself is, what, eight million people, the whole place? And it must have been a, I don't know, max, of 1500 people probably in the whole place who were into any kind of rave scene or whatever mm -hmm. and it was nascent there you know it'd been it started i guess in the early yeah it started i guess in the night probably there was discos and stuff in hong kong before i don't really know when it really began i would say late 80s early 90s same as everywhere else but any kind of real cemented scene where people knew each other and where something was going on weekly was probably probably got going in about 93 94 there and when i got there which was 96 you'd already say it had a few you know it had a few legs so yeah it was super easy to jump in there were there were parties every week there was kind of a division of parties you had um massive events and then you had an after hours scene and the after hours scene was purely local 
and the big events were a mix I'd say of expats and locals yeah it was it was kind of if you like that music it was inescapable and then suddenly oh, that's how I met all my friends so yeah it was super easy to jump in just as a punter you know I wasn't playing really there um, at the beginning anyway so yeah it was like my I'm you know I kind of missed I, I was there for kind of the 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 birth of acid house or whatever but i was slightly too young to get involved i was like 15 none of my friends really were into it until a bit later and then it was rave and i kind of i kind of went i used to go out when i was 15 16 but i to, to little parties but i wasn't like getting involved having a big party or anything i just went for the music and then when things got ravey i kind of didn't like it i wasn't into hardcore or anything so i kind of stopped going to that kind of thing so when i went to hong kong it was almost like they were that little bit behind so i kind of got to do it all over again and that was really my big kind of rave awakening going out friday to sunday i don't know i think the the most interesting thing about moving to a new city is that you kind of have to push yourself to go out to these parties or meet new people or discover everything mm -hmm. on your own especially when you move somewhere by yourself mm -hmm. so how did getting lost in a physical way or i guess more accurately orientating yeah. yourself in a physical way influence you back then that's a good question i don't really know um <laughs> i had been to hong kong before i moved there i'd been there six months before on a work trip and i think and then i went to like i say i went to singapore first and singapore i kind of that exactly happened i kind of went i knew people already luckily i don't know how i met some people at zook which is a big club there um i'd met some people at zook on the dance floor and and also a couple of people from that i knew via work and i went out there and I basically got adopted by a bunch of people. I was quite lucky. I basically didn't have anywhere to stay. I had to find somewhere to stay the next day. And I just met some people, French people, in a club. And they were like, cool, don't worry, we'll sort you out. And they gave me a bed for three weeks, basically. <laughs> I, I, I lived in a mattress in the house for like three weeks. And they were total ravers. And it was really, you know, it was a really good little scene. And there's some of those, are my, you know, they're still my friends now. So it was, they were good people to meet. 20, you know, 20, 20 years later, I'm still friends with them. So... Um, yeah, that was, that kind of really gave me a base in Asia of like, okay, maybe this isn't so difficult. But the thing with Singapore was everybody was speaking English. When you got to Hong Kong, there was more of a language barrier with locals. So the only people I really met initially were expats, um, which was fine. But I felt like, part of me felt like, well, I'm in this really, really foreign place. You know, I don't understand the street signs and... Um, I don't really, I, you know, I really didn't know that many people in Hong Kong except work people, which I didn't, you know, I was not going to go raving with those. <laughs> so, yeah, I went out and I did meet people and it took a while, took a few months. Didn't take that long, really, when I think about it. And again, those people are still my friends now. So it was more of a challenge, I think, in Hong Kong to kind of meet people because it just felt so alien. But then the one thing that I did, once I kind of... The, th the thing that really helped me was probably after about six months I got a job and I was, because I'm a journalist, my background is in journalism and I got a job um, as entertainment editor at Hong Kong magazine and that just meant I could get everywhere for free and go out all the time because I was reviewing things and listing things and from that, I'm that really kind of kicked me 
into sort of a more, you know, into much more of a social circle because it was a lot easier to meet people. From that, I met more locals, and that really made me feel much more at home when I'd actually met some proper Hong Kong ravers, you know, mm-hmm. rather than a bunch of expats. So, although they were all my friends, I was very happy to sort of meet locals as well because I just didn't. Because in in Singapore, that had been a lot easier, and I found it quite weird not to do that in Hong Kong. So, it was not. It was nice to be able to eventually do that. What is something that you discovered about yourself thanks to this move of going to a new city? That I've got balls, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I mean, you know, I was 23, I didn't know anybody. I just took my, was kind of pissed off at life, but not in a bad mood, if you know what I mean. I was just like, oh, this is boring, I can do better than this. Took myself off to Asia and found out that I could do it and succeed and get on. And I was, you know, very, that's what I learned about myself and that I was self-sufficient and that I was always ready for adventure and that it would take a lot to freak me out and you know they're the kind of things that I learned about myself and also I learned while I was there I learned skills you know I learned to mix records before that I was buying records and blending them but I was never really you know beat matching so that's you know I came home with a transferable skill. Do you also have experiences of getting lost or this meditative state when you are digging for records? Whether that's kind of looking through your own collection or record shopping or what have you. No, I wouldn't say it's lost. I'd say it was more... I don't know. I'm more of a dog scratching around <laughs> for, you know, for something that's for buried treasure or something. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't zone out when I've got things to do, <laughs> I think. But um, I'm more likely to do that when I'm filing away because I spend a hell of a lot of my time filing records and it never seems to stop. You know, I've always got to put things back. But yeah, digging, no, I wouldn't say I would get lost. I think that's, no, I don't think that's true. In an interview of yours, you once said that you can't beat a B-side that you haven't listened to in years. Yeah, that's true. You I still mean, believe that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I put records to bed as soon as I buy them. So, yeah, there's certain things I want to play immediately and other things I'm like, mm, not sure about this. And I just leave it. I just, I just leave it in my collection and it just sits there on the floor. Or sits there on a sh- it doesn't go in the shelf yet because I haven't engaged with it, but it will sit on the floor for a good... Up to a year, I would say, before I suddenly will think, oh, what's this one again? The time that I pick it up is always the right time. You know, it's always, it's never like, oh, I wish I picked this up six months ago. Mm-hmm. It's always, ah, oh, now I know why I bought this. And I think, yeah, I think if you, you know, you have to have trust in your history. So you've got to trust that when you bought those records, you bought all four, all four tracks on it, or all two tracks, however many's on there, you know, in the hope that one day they'd become useful. So now, you know, I'll go back into my collection and I'll find records and I'll, I'll the side that I always played, I won't play that anymore, but then there'll be a, a B2 cut and I'm like, yeah, this is the one, man. This is, the, <laughs> this is why I ended, you know, I should, I should have been playing this one all along. So yeah, there is that. I think that's feeling. And I think if you only ever, I think you should. I think you're kind of doing your collection a disservice if you don't go through it enough and discover those things because you know you can't always go shopping. You haven't always got money for shop. You haven't always got time to go shopping. There's always some restriction. So let your collection do the work. You know, don't let it just sit there on a shelf. You know, I'm a. Str- I'm also a strict believer in you cull it. You know, you 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 prune that thing, or otherwise it's not going to grow and it's not going to thrive. So you have to cut it back all the time. Otherwise, you've just got stuff sitting there, and it could be giving pleasure to other people. It's it's not. You know, if you're not playing it, 
Yeah, I'm a full believer in always going through, going through, going, going through, constantly going through my collection for rediscovery or just for jettison, you know? So. <laughs> and so what about when you're DJing? How is that experience different than when you're listening to music? Well, I don't mix at home ever, so that would be the, the clear difference. Is that, um, Never, not even to no, practice. No, so. I don't. I don't, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I haven't mixed at home in years. I, probably about, probably about ten, at least ten years, maybe fifteen years. Mm. Um, I just have no inclination to do it anymore. I think when you're starting, and you, you know, you're just eager to mix records all the time. But I just, I want to hear the record. So if I'm mixing, I'm not listening to it because you're always listening to the next bit. You know, you're always listening to the intro of the next record. So. How can you enjoy a record if you're listening to the next one? So, what I like, the one thing that I like about DJing is I like to hear mixes and I like to hear them on a louder system, which, you know, is giving me, you know, I can't play things super loud at home, not that I'd want to, but I just think at home it's a different environment. Whereas I actually really like hearing myself mix records when I'm out, which is one of the things that keeps me interested in DJing. It's like, oh, what did I do there? You know, I'm really interested in that, in the, and and the and the technical side of it, and the and the surprises that come from it. But I would never do that at home. I couldn't. I just couldn't get that. I couldn't get. It couldn't happen that way. So at home, I just listen to things. I only probably need one deck at home. I've got three, but I don't. Actually, I've got five, but <laughs> two are gathering dust on a shelf, and they're kind of broken. But um, yeah, I've got. I, I just listen. I've got like decks in different rooms, so I can just put records on all around the house. In an interview of yours, you said that you normally like to start a set with something challenging or epic or strange, just to see who's listening and yeah. who might prefer to go home. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Do you still do that? Yeah, always. I'm no, I'm, I never, as well, I'm sure somebody can come up with an example, but I never <laughs> really mix into the DJ before me. I think I like to see them finish, give them a little clap, and then I will start. And one of the things I like to do is immediately kind of, I don't go for statement records, but I like to, make people realize that this is a different DJ's come on whether they're at the back of the room or whether they're right in front of me it's like you're not going to get what you've just heard from somebody else that that's always in my brain you know to try and just make sure that this is a whole fresh chapter um and yeah I'm not afraid to play weirder records or non-obvious records or beatless records first because I think there's a lot of people when you go out who are just out and it's fine you know they can be out but they're the kind of people who can you know in, a, in some situations give you a bad vibe or they're the ones who are, you know they're going to come up and ask for something and you're like what? <laughs> well, you're in the wrong place you know like, so it's always a, an element of I, I'm sorry to say it but I don't really want you there if you're not open minded um, so I'm quite happy for people to just be out, but if they're the kind of people who go, okay, let's just see what's going on, that's absolutely fine. But if there's people who are there to see a particular kind of sound and it's not there, I'll, I come, 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 I'm trying to say, you're not gonna get what you expect. So 
And then for the people who come to see me, they're kind of used to me doing that, so they're kind of going to be pleased. Yeah, I just like to start a fresh page, and the easiest thing to do is just really make it different. So, and then, yeah, they, you, you kind of strip the dead wood. <laughs> it's a really horrible thing to say, but <laughs> it's true. You know, you get you get rid of the people who are not going to be into you. You save their night for them, I think. Look, it's probably best if you, go, if you guys go <laughs> home, because you're just gonna, not going to enjoy this. So. Do you think it should be our goal as listeners and dancers to go out and get really deep into every set that we hear, or do you think it's enough to simply go out and be entertained by music? Aren't they the same thing? I don't know. For me, I don't know why people go. I mean, I don't know why people go out. Well, you know, people go out for a million different reasons. My reason, when I, when I first started to go out, and through, I think the whole of my life of going out, the drive for me to go out is to hear this particular person play this kind of music or make this kind of music if it's a live set. You know, I don't go out for any other reason other than that. I never have. Um, and so when I go out and people are just out to be out, um, I still find it weird, even though it's, um, you know, I've had 30 odd years of experience of this, I still find it strange that people don't go out to engage with the music solely, you know, and then everything else is on top, the social or drugs or dancing or whatever it is, is on top. So for me, it was always to go out and listen to the music. So yeah, I, f- I find it kind of weird when, when, when people don't do that because um, I can't empathise at all. Do you think that this desire to get really deep into it or I guess this really deep engagement mm-hmm. that we have with electronic music, do you think that that's something that's always existed throughout music's history, not just with electronic music? People have got off their heads and danced around to some kind of beat for, you know, millennia. So I think that's... I just think it's in our, it's in us. It's, well, it's not in everybody. You know, some people just don't get music. I know people who have just got no interest in it and don't even respond to any kind of beat. So, you know, it's not music's not for everybody. But I think that if it is for you, your connection with it is probably in your DNA. Um, Because you only have to look at a baby, you know, and see how they respond to music. Um, They haven't been taught it, so you've got... um, a fresh mind and a new sound or a new uh, communication to them and you see a pure response so I think it is within us to always respond to music in a certain way and I think yeah well, I think it's it's um, I mean I haven't studied this but I do think I know for me I remember music from, from you know from my earliest memories so and, and, and the information that was attached to that music as well. I remember it and I remember certain key events attached to music. So I think, yeah, it's within us that, that we are going to respond to it. Well, most of us will. In what ways would you say that club culture was kind of a freedom for you when you were growing up or perhaps when you moved to Hong Kong? I think club culture for me, I mean, it's interesting you say Hong Kong specifically. I mean, that was an interesting period of my life because a lot had changed in a few years, but... I think if you want to look at that specifically, what club culture did, it gave me a common language. So I knew that if I went out to things, and again, I was purely going out to hear music. If I was going out to things, it would be inevitable that I would meet people who were into the same thing as me. So club culture was a common communication that I could have with complete strangers. So in a, in a foreign place that worked for me that's how that's what it did for me there 
Yeah, it was a freedom in that nobody knew me. In 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 any place really. I remember going out before that, before that, when I was a student going to clubs, it was just and I was going out with some friends of mine. It was a pure yeah, it was pure expression. I could go out, I could dance to the music I liked and at that point I was going out to a lot of sort of jazz clubs and not like live jazz but a lot of Josh Peterson kind of Patrick Forge, Kevin Bead, all those kind of DJs. It was just a lot of people dancing. You know, there was a lot of Japanese people, there was a lot of black people, there was quite a Spanish and Italian contingent. So it was the first time I'd ever really been to anywhere that felt cosmopolitan. It was just a different world from white working class barking where I'd kind of grown up, where it was mainly whites and Asians, you know, like um, uh, Indians, Pakistanis, that was kind of the people that I grew, you know, the sort of, that's how I grew up. So to go out to clubs, it was, yeah, it was a freedom of, oh, different people, which was, not, you know, it was good. It was, like, good to see that other people, again, you had this common de- denominator, which was going out to dance or listen to music. I think that's always been there in a way. It's always been a way that I can actually think, right, I need to connect with people. It's like a shortcut to connecting with people. How do I connect with people who are into what I'm into? Okay, just do things that you like and you will probably meet other people who are mm-hmm. on your wavelength. And that has, you know, I'd say 80% of the time proved true. Is that something that you try to uphold with the parties that you have been involved in over the years? Yeah, I think so, in a way. Um, I think for me, the one thing that I've, you know, I get quite feisty about it. I mean, less so, I'd say the last couple of years, I've really lost interest in putting parties on. Um, because I feel like I've just done my bit and I'm in my mid-40s and I just haven't got the energy anymore. I'd just rather put it into other things. But up until this point, and, you know, I'm still interested in doing night moves and stuff, but we it's so seldom now. Jade's had a baby. It's like we, we can't do them as much as we would, would probably want. And I just feel older. I don't feel the desire to do it anymore. Um, I'd rather just concentrate on collecting music. But I think up and definitely the, the driving force to always to that is I want to I always felt a little bit of an outsider when I was at school I was bullied when I was in my teens and you know I just and music was always the thing that I had that was always my that was always my thing that no one could t- sort of touch really so um, I think when I put parties on it was always about this is a, anybody's welcome as long as you are nice that was it that was in my head <laughs> just be a nice person just be nice don't give people shit don't be nasty don't take the piss just do what you want and have some fun and listen to this music and meet people and get fucked and do whatever you want to do but just be nice and I always feel in lots of different scenes they're always a little bit cliquey or they're always like I don't know there's always um, a particular language or a particular etiquette for certain places throughout my history of going out and my vision with putting a party together and I definitely this was with Peg and definitely with Jade with Night Moves. It's always been, well, we're not like that. You know, anybody could, you know, we really went for it with Night Moves to be, and to be completely democratic because the first thing we said is no guest list. There's going to be no differentiation between any person at this party. We, no one, no one asks for a freebie, you know, no one does because they know we're not going to give them one. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, everyone can play. Everyone can pay the same amount of money to come to a party, and then and then everybody feels the same. There's no oh the, those people are better than me, or they can jump the queue because everybody buys a ticket up front. There's no tickets on the door ever, so everybody buys a ticket up front, and they all paid the same amount of money. We we really went for this. This is a, 
there's total democracy here because I just feel that that's how it should be. If you want to go out and truly express yourself, you don't want to have any kind of paranoia. <laughs> you know, you don't want to feel any different to anybody else. So you have to level that playing field from the beginning, which is what we've done, you know. And I think in doing that, I've heard so many people come to the parties, very different ages, and over the time of the five years we've been doing it, and every single person says, I cannot believe um, how different this party feels to everywhere else. I can't believe how nice people are. I can't believe how friendly it is. I can't believe that this party still exists in London. You know, these are, I'm not making any of those comments up. <laughs> Even I went to do Mixmag TV the other day, um, and one of the members of staff came up to me and she went, I went to your party at the Pickle and I just couldn't believe the vibe in there. It was, it was like proper vibe. And I think, you know, for me, that is, if you haven't got that, that everybody here, I don't care what they're like on the outside, but everybody in this room right now is just here for the same reason. That's a real nice thing to have. I think it's very important. And for me, that's just, I just want people to feel comfortable when they go out because there's nothing worse than not feeling like that. Of playing at Night Moves, you once said that when the pressure is off and the audience is entirely engaged, mm -hmm. you're fully locked in and committed to this transcendent groove. Yeah, I mean, it's weird with Night because we haven't actually done one properly since April last year, so 2016, um, because at that point Jay, just, Jay got pregnant. So, um, yeah, we, it was just not going to happen. We didn't, and I was, I've been touring a lot, so our schedules just wasn't, weren't working and I think so I've, I've almost kind of forgotten slightly what it feels like to play at night moves because it's been so long we did something at the pickle last October where they booked Jade and myself to play together Jade was seven months pregnant so it was quite interesting <laughs> behind the deck yeah. <laughs> um, she managed five hours on her feet so good, good on you Jade um, but that was the last time that with a, a lot of our crowd came down for that and it felt like a kind of night moves vibe in there. That was, yeah, we got locked in, but I think me and Jade as well, we've kind of doing this thing now where we play together, um, which we never ever did at night moves. We weren't really, I think we've only done a back-to-back -back once in the whole time we've ever done it. So, but we've started doing these back-to-back -back sets and that is quite, you get into a, a groove of that, I think. But this whole sort of feeling of, yeah, I'm locked in the transcendence, I mean, that to me has just been my last year and a half of DJing anywhere. I'm not, it's not my pressure to put the party on anymore. So that's completely gone now. So I quite like the fact that that's gone. And now I'm not actually sure what I'd feel like if when we do a party again, what it's gonna feel like to have to put the party on because I'm quite used now of not having to do the hard work. <laughs> Although I have to say with Pickle, that has actually felt like I'm putting a party on and not that I'm the guest, you know? <laughs> it does actually feel like a bit more hard work. But yeah, it is a nice feeling to, when you when you see that your, your efforts have paid off and now you can just chill out and have fun playing music. So how do the artists that you book at these various parties, how do they live up to this idea of transcendent groove? Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, I can't tell other people what to play. I think, for me, the best place I've actually experienced is that it's not specifically at a night moves, which does feel a little bit like a social club sometimes, <laughs> which is good, you know. But I think that real Lost in Music thing, we really nailed it at the Field Moves tent that we run at Field Maneuvers. The sound there is so good. Glenn Sounds is so good. 
worked and potential difference do the lights and the field maneuvers guys do the decoration for us and then we just program the tent and bring the DJs and I think the programming there I really think we've nailed it I think it is definitely the place where you go and you don't know who's playing and you just lock out and you can really go for it and apparently I was ill this year and I missed it I'm gutted because I totally selfishly programmed the Saturday for me who I wanted to hear (laughs) but with my friends you know playing with John and Carl and I was gutted I missed it but apparently it was you know I've heard a couple of those mixes and they were spot on and really like people it was pitch black and you could just really lose it in there and I think you know that's an that's important to have just a few hours off in life if you're not going to sit down and meditate and try and be mindful or whatever and you know you can do that on a dance floor with your eyes closed or even with your eyes open but with your eyes closed just wigging out for a bit that's why I think people feel good after it because they are, that's a meditation you know they don't they might not realize it's an active meditation but that's exactly what they're doing because they're nowhere else but in that moment at that time yeah I think having a dark room and a big loud sound system and no one around you who's going to be an arsehole I think that really helps to do that (laughs) is there an artist that you kind of rely on for always bringing you that meditative feeling not really I've got to say because I just don't get to hear people that often anymore which is you know disappointing I think but you know the times that I've heard you know the best places that I've heard for that has actually been in Japan in the past few years at Labyrinth and at Rural has been you know places that I've been to or places that I've played where I've been able to just sit down and listen to other DJs where generally I don't um and so yeah you know Voices from the Lake Live Dozzy DJ and Peter Van Hosen doing his hybrid thing Atom um you know these are all people who really blew me away um I feel the same way about all those sets that you just mentioned even just hearing them on SoundCloud yeah (laughs) yeah I think yeah just um you know I've heard Peter Van, Peter Van Hosen talk about psychedelia, I know Dozzy has, I mean, you know, I'm friends with Beppo, I know he has, I mean, these, you know, these are people who are really into that kind of psychedelic play with your mind vibe, which I like, you know, and every time I go to Japan, I think that's what the crowds at those particular vessels is really into, they really want you to take them somewhere else, blow them into space or take them deep into the ground or wherever it is, you know. And I think, yeah, that's, in a way, whatever kind of music I'm playing, that is my natural state for play, yeah, for playing music or for where it, the, 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 um, it's the ultimate benefit, I think, from it. What emotions did music bring out in you when you were younger that it doesn't bring out anymore or vice versa? Yeah, I don't know if I can even answer that really. I mean, I don't, I'd say, when I was younger, it was a lot easier to whirl round on the floor with your arms, <laughs> you know, getting dizzy than it is now. Um, but I still do the, I can still do that in my head, you know. But emotion-wise, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's always a joy. It's always joy. It's always euphoria. It's always like, I don't know. But I, like I say, I need to be really actively listening. I, th- I can't. I have to engage fully if I'm going to listen to something. So when I do that. There's a, I've made a, I've made a deal, you know, I've made a deal of, right, this is what I've chosen to do, so I'm going to do it, and so I will always enjoy it, you know, I find it very hard to not enjoy music if I've, I've committed to listening, um, so I think, yeah, I don't, other than that, I don't know what emotions really, are. that's a good question, and I'm not really sure I can answer <laughs> it very well, I'm afraid, yeah. Can we talk about your accelerator 
podcast. Sure. Which was great. Mm. I was reading the write-up and you had said that the theme was hypnosis. Mm. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Gosh, I don't know. My memory is so bad. Um, <laughs> this is when I get found out because I don't even remember what I wrote. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole point of that podcast for me was that I wanted to do... That was, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I was playing at the time and I just, again, I just... I kind of wanted it to be a listening meditation takes you off into you know I want people to engage with things when I used to listen to mixes the best music the best mixes that I used to listen to you would be fully engaged with them and I'm not someone who will reel out this on a journey cliche because I don't think you're going somewhere but I think it's more of a, a progression in terms of highs and lows and and space and intensity and you know rhythm and um, beatlessness or whatever you know there's there's always this kind of dynamism going on in what I do and I think the whole point of that mix was just to go okay just submit it's exactly what you would do with if you're being hypnotized you have to submit yeah that's it really I mean I just wanted yeah I just wanted people to go okay here's an hour or an hour and 20 minutes or however long it was and I'm not going to do anything else but listen to this and that's you know I know people who go jogging to it or drive their <laughs> car to it or do, you know do whatever you want but in my brain that was even when I was mixing it I was pretty like tripping out you know <laughs> to myself <laughs> do you believe in hypnosis yeah but maybe not for me <laughs> <laughs> is it fair to say that genres like Ambient, for example, mm. uh, have something in common with hypnosis, as you've just kind of touched on briefly. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I really, you know, this ambient world gets buzzed around a lot, and it's kind of trendy these days. I use it as a catch-all term to play music that's not banging, you know, and uh, trippy music, and music that makes you think, and music that feels like smells, <laughs> you know, things that just drift in and out, and but they're still captivating, and they're still punishing at times or they're still challenging or it's still I don't know joyful and abundant however you you know that it's music that does the same whether it's got beats or not instrumental things I really have issues with vocals I can't even though there was a stage when I used to play a lot of house of vocals in it but I just um and I'm you know I'm, my roots are in soul so uh, you know that I'd Vocals and electronic music I find quite difficult to combine. I'm quite a compartmentalist with music, really, um, even though I play so many different things. Um, I think ambient is something that there's so... It's just a whole world of other things. And it's mainly... You know, it's not... It's a lot of people who make that kind of music and traditionally have made that kind of music have been mavericks or they've been you know uh, outcasts or they're just people who've just done their own thing it's kind of even though there was kind of a there was a new age scene in the kind of 80s or whatever there's there's still elements of it of people who are really doing their own thing and i really like that is that it's music from pure expression it's not people just you know oh i heard that track i've got to make a track like that i'm sure there may have been an element of that when kind of that whole new age Wyndham Hill thing was very big in the kind of 80s but I think um, I think traditionally if you really get if you're really gathering music from lots of places and particularly now with lots of reissues of lost ambient albums or whatever they're coming from different times and spaces so then and the scene is really forming now but it's forming historically you know it's forming from history so at the time all those people were really isolated and I, li I like that that they were 
you know, their cultural snapshots, their pure expressions of a person at a particular place at a particular time in their particular mindset. And to put all those together into something, I think that's one of, for me, that's the interesting thing about playing that kind of music because it isn't, you're not locked into playing things that have to fit in a certain way you know it's not like dropping a house record in a techno set do you know what I mean it's it's you're really going you're really putting together things which don't match and I like the things I like the fact that they do match but they shouldn't you know and that's because they're not constrained by any particular BPM or or sound or you know trend you know there's traditionally people like Iasos and Ariel Karma and and, and, and instrumentalists like that um, who were still actually put, you know who were still producing still putting things out on Bandcamp um, Ishk from Cornwall really good um, I don't know it's a whole world I'm more and I'm yeah I'm less interested in the artists when I listen to those things because I'm picking them with my ears so I'll tend to just have things on listening so like the experimental section on Juno I'll have that play I'll, I'll, I'll play all the releases from the last two months and I'll pick with my ears yeah unfortunately I don't really pay much attention to when he's <laughs> making it or unless it's you know unless it's it's a recurring I've had a reminder about it so what are your hopes for how your own music speaks to listeners or for how your DJ set speaks to listeners yeah it's funny you know I don't I do I always try I always do, but not always, you know, sometimes I just want people to have a party. It depends, it totally depends on the length of my set, the positioning of my set, what, what hour of the, you know, what hour of the night or day it is, where it is, how many people are there. So not, that's not going to work in every situation. You know, so, you know, I'll give you an example. I played in Edinburgh a couple of weeks ago, two hour set, one till three, you can't spend time being all intricate and trippy to a cloud to a crowd who just want to rave for two hours hard and so there's still an element in all my sets of like I'm gonna bend you you know I really want to bend your brain a bit but it has to be contextualized so yeah I think set and setting for how I present music is it's actually how I choose the records before I play. I have to really consider where they're going to be listened to before I'll even put a record in my bag. So, um, yeah, it's not always about being deep and ambient, you know. And I don't even want to always be like that, you know. That's not even though I love that kind of stuff. It's not how I always want. It. That's not my always my permanent state. Yeah, I think how you present music is you have to be especially if people are paying to see you I think you have to be a little bit conscious of that I think otherwise you just you're just self-indulgent and I don't you know not every set is eight hours long you can't always be like that